0: If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter three, and we'll begin in verse four there. And, I, you ever, you ever, uh, you, know, you go to a restaurant and you, or you you you're at home and you fill your plate up with more than. You know you 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 were hungry right, and you fill it up and. And uh, then you get like, and you're only going to eat half of it. Um, This is two weeks in a row I've been more ambitious in how many verses we would cover. (laughs) So we're going to get a change of uh, of title. Uh, The title is, for those of you keeping score at home, and I know that you are, The Authentic Minister Part 2. That was Part 1 last week. And the verses, we're just going to read verses 4 to 6. Actually, we're going to start at verse 1, but our verses of emphasis will be verses 4 to 6. So last week I had hoped to get through verse 6, and I didn't. This week I had hoped to get through verse 11, and I'm not going to, (laughs) so. All right, let's begin at chapter 3, verse 1, the authentic minister, part 2. Verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, last week we uh, began to answer a question that Paul uh, originally posed in chapter 2, verse 16. He had been speaking Paul had. he had been speaking of the ministry of the gospel, as he spoke of being a prisoner of war and being paraded around by God in triumphal procession, as he spreads the fragrance of Christ everywhere he goes, to those that he spreads uh, to those that are believing, to those that have life. It, the message of the gospel and the message of Christ is the fragrance of life, to those that reject the gospel, to those that hate that message. It's the fragrance of death. Them And so God is making that uh, aroma in that way as Paul preaches the gospel. And the question that Paul poses at the end of verse 16 is, after he says all of that, he says, who is sufficient for these things? In other words, who is sufficient for the marvelous work of God in bringing the message of Christ to the lost? He answers this question beginning in verse 17 by offering a comparison of true and authentic biblical ministry with those that have arrived in Corinth as his critics. So that's how he goes about it. He says, here's my critics. This is what they do. This is, these are marks of uh, authentic uh, Christian ministry. And so last week we got as far as chapter 3, verse 3 in our comparison. We discovered in those verses that Paul refers to critics in chapter 2, verse 17 as peddlers of God's word, which means that they ministered for personal benefit. Uh, in comparison, authentic ministry is sincere or God-centered in everything it does. Paul refers to uh, uh, um, the his critics as having come with letters of recommendation from certain Judean churches. These were those Judaizing churches. They they said that uh, you had to uh, to um, to uh, add uh, you had to first become a Jew before you could become a Christian, and they endorsed their Judaizers critics or their Judaizers' uh, false gospel, the critics of Paul. And it was a powerful argument to the Corinthians for them to come with letters of recommendation. And Paul acknowledges, he says, I have no letters such as that. I have nothing on paper, but I do have something far better. Uh, he, he had, this is what he was saying, I have the Corinthian church as a letter. Christ has written the Corinthian church upon my heart. And you are a letter for me and as you go out into the world uh, people see you they see the letter of recommendation written on my heart and Paul said that was the only letter of recommendation that he needed because this was a pagan people steeped in idolatry and they had turned from their sins and turned to the living God and Paul says that's all I need I don't need somebody writing down hey Paul's a pretty good guy won't you trust him he says I have you You. God turns you through my ministry. He turns you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we finished last week with Paul referring to his critics' ministry as an outdated ministry. that continued to rely upon the law versus authentic ministry, which um, uh, relies upon Christ's fulfillment of the law and the Spirit's work upon the hearts of God's people. So the people, Paul's opponents appealed to the ministry of Moses... Uh, changing God's uh, chaining God's people to the law for a prerequisite to coming to salvation through Christ, that ministry will ultimately kill. But authentic ministry goes to Christ alone for salvation. He alone kept the law for His people. He now offers them the benefits of uh, His work to them. So that brings us now to verses 4 and 5. And we're going to finish up here the the section on the authentic minister. And we look at verses 4 and 5 and it says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And the first thing we see today there, and you see it in verse 4, is that the competent minister has confidence. Confidence. Paul begins... The, and by the way, as we're saying that what an authentic ministry is, this is the goal for First Baptist Church, isn't it? To have an authentic ministry here. To have all these things that, that we, that we, uh, that we uh, just saw Paul talk about, and then the more that, that we will. That our leadership in this church would be uh, have the qualities of authentic ministry. That your pastor here would have the qualities of authentic ministry that Paul describes here. In 2 Corinthians 3, this is what we're aiming for. This is what you want your church to be. This is how you want to pray for your church. This is how you want what you are encouraging your pastor to be. What you're hoping for. Okay? And as we see this, and we'll see some comparisons of peddlers and of ministry we don't need. Versus the ministry that Paul says here, we want to highlight those things. And we want to be what Paul has said here. And so, we need a ministry with confidence. We need a minister with confidence. Paul begins these verses by expressing his confidence that he is a minister approved by God on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ in the lives of the Corinthians. He believes in the call of God upon certain men to preach the, the gospel. He is confident in the work of God when the minister of God is obedient to preach The word. So he knows that God will move and work and bless through the minister who's obedient to preach as God has called him to preach. He couldn't doubt the work and calling upon his life just because there were some Judaizers in Corinth who didn't like his message, who were casting doubts upon his ministry. He knew he had the right gospel. The calling of God and the results of such a ministry were right before his very eyes. God was approving his ministry through the amazing conversion of pagan peoples to Jesus Christ. They were dropping their idols for the truth found in the gospel. And they're asking Paul for letters of recommendation? Seems a bit silly, doesn't it? Paul had great confidence in the ministry for these reasons. And the church needs today confident men preaching the gospel. Not a false confidence in their ability to be great orators with a, uh, or, or people with great words. The church doesn't need ministers confident that they will come up with a new program or a new way to get people to buy into the Christian message. And you find these pragmatists, because that's what these are. These are pragmatists. Pragmatist is someone who does what works, Right? You find these pragmatists all around nowadays. They have no confidence in the gospel or in the presence of God. In the simple but sure preaching of the word. But they have, here's what they have confidence in. Their ability to talk to people. Talk people into following them. So that they find their, uh, and, they, and, they, and they have confidence in, ability, in their ability to find ways to attract people to come to their churches. And so they ask themselves a question. They say, well, what would Joe Schmo on the street want in his church? And then they go and tailor their church to what Joe Schmo wants who doesn't even darken the doors of a church any time instead of relying upon what God has said, what true ministry is. And, And so they add low lighting and smoke machines and colored lights and pastors start getting into skinny jeans and stuff like that. Listen, if I ever wear skinny jeans up here, you can fire me, okay? I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> so they want to, you know, you've got to add the cool factor, right? You've got to add the cool factor. Uh, because how else will people want to come, they think? We have to look like the culture and sound like the culture and give the culture what the culture wants. They have put their confidence in the wrong thing. The sufficient minister, though, is confident in the call of God and in the promise of God. He's confident in the call of God upon him because he has a great desire to preach the truth to everyone that will hear it. He's confident because he wants nothing more than to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified and to see the souls of men and women come to the true and saving faith. He is confident in his call because he has a burning desire to teach God's word to everyone who's hungry for it. And he's confident in the promise of God because he knows that God will do everything he said he will do. He doesn't look at times when his ministry isn't doing as well as it has in other times and think, you know, am I still God? Is God still working? No, not if he has that still burning fire for the same things I just mentioned, to see people come to Christ and all that. He knows that the Spirit moves in unpredictable ways, going to and fro as it pleases Him as Jesus described in John chapter 3. But whether the gospel message is popular or whether it's unpopular is of no consequence as to the calling of God upon His life. He trusts the sovereign God of heaven to save all His people. That's what He does. He knows He doesn't needs smoke and mirrors. All he needs is a Bible and the hope of Jesus Christ to save sinners from the pit of hell uh, through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All he needs is to preach with conviction about the truth of Scripture, knowing that God will do all he has promised to do. We need confident men like this. Men who are confident like Martin Luther and William Tyndale and John Huss, who are willing to lay down their lives, if need be, for the sake of the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so attractive and so right, by the way, about a belief that God will save all of His chosen people down through the ages through the preaching of the Word. Not through all kinds of other things, but through the preaching of the Word. It's meant to be a comfort to God's people. Who else would we trust more than God to do the right thing? Who else? Who else would we trust but for God to do everything He has said that He will do? We are encouraged to lay everything on Jesus Christ and on the perfect plan of God. And so then, all, that was what's left up to me to do? Be obedient and preach the gospel. And I, the, I leave the results up to the sovereign God of heaven. We don't have to manipulate or coddle people or change God's message. We just need to be faithful and obedient to preach Christ faithfully. God will do the rest. That's what it means to be confident. It, knows, it means I know of a call because of a burning desire to preach the gospel and see men saved and God's truth to be given to His people. And it means I trust Him with the results. He's got it covered. That's the kind of authentic ministry we need in our church, in every church um, around here and in the world today. So there's confidence in the call of God upon a minister. But the sufficient minister also has confidence through Christ. See, that's really where your confidence lays, right? Or lies lies, lies, I think. Can you help me out, English teachers? <laughs> that's really where our confidence is, isn't it? I'll just say it that way. Our confidence is there. That means uh, that the confident minister knows, though, and isn't this, it seems like a contradiction of sorts, but it's not. The confident minister knows he's a simple, weak man. That's what he knows. And that any success is to be attributed to Jesus Christ. And his acceptance before God is based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to his life. And there are many ministers strutting around out there thinking they're the best things and sliced bread. That isn't confidence. It's a proud and boastful heart. They manipulate people and they make the ministry about them. Before Paul had come to Christ, he would have commended himself to God based upon uh, his own account. You remember in Philippians there how he used to boast before, how he says he used to boast before he was a Christian? He gave that list in Philippians 3. He said, I used to boast, he says, he used to boast in the fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. The old Paul would have done what these Judaizers had done. He would have bragged about himself. He would have commended himself to others. He would have stood before God and it would have been the last thing he'd ever said. But he would have commended himself to God with a list and all these boxes that he'd checked. In fact, no one had better stock than he had. <laughs> He didn't, nobody had it better than he had. He would have said, look at me, which was what his opponents have been saying. His opponents have been saying, look at me. I have a letter of commendation. Oh, we, uh, you know, we have circumcision. We have dietary laws. I won't eat that. You'd never see me eating that because I'm cleansed and I'm pure and all this other stuff. I won't defile myself. And and on and on and on, all these ways in which he's just helping Jesus Christ out in order to get to heaven. Whew, man, that's tough, isn't it? There's all kinds of people like that. And just because we don't have... Judaizers of that ilk, there's all kinds of people saying, well, I I do this and I do that. Don't we? You know, I'm not a bad guy. Surely, I'll make it to heaven. Um, And pretty soon you think you don't even need Jesus Christ. Paul commends himself to God and to others through Christ. Through Christ. He no longer looks at himself in the long list of things that he thinks people will be impressed by. He looks for commendation based upon the work of Jesus Christ in his ministry. He says to them, I have no letter of recommendation written by hands. I only have you as a letter. Christ has written you on my heart. And everywhere you go, people read you. Paul claims the church at Corinth was the result of the marvelous work of Jesus Christ done through him. He cannot boast that it exists because of him. You see, Paul and any other minister... Are simply playing a part given to them by God. A competent minister's job is to handle God's truth in the right way and communicate it to God's people. Here's what you might say of a preacher: you might say of him that he's really just a herald. He's a herald of the good news. And you know what I, I think of when I, you know, what I think of when I, I think of a herald of the good news. And I, I think I've said this before, but it's been a while. But I, I think of uh, like the medieval times, yeah, when the king would say, "Hey." go out and send the message out and the guy would blow the trumpet and say, hear ye, hear ye. And he's a goofy looking guy with the funny tights and the funny shoes and the hat on. (laughs) That's a preacher, isn't it? That's what he is. He's a herald of the good news. He just goes and says, hear ye, hear ye. Christ died for sinners, righteous for the unrighteous. Come, believe upon His name. Salvation is for you. And I'm always amazed at how vital it is to get our salvation, teaching on salvation right, and how it never fails that when we exercise discernment and we reject false doctrines concerning these things, how often that it comes up from critics that, yeah you know, we shouldn't judge the ministry or beliefs of others. And they'll ask, why don't we all just get along? But here Paul has a group of people in the Judaizers who are his opponents, who claim to worship Jesus as the Christ. And according to many today, as long as they preach Jesus, that's all that matters, right? But to Paul, that's not all that mattered. Because the Judaizers appealed to Jesus as the Messiah. No doubt, they preached Him. But it was of necessity then and now that the teaching about, Je- the way- about Jesus and the way of salvation, in particular, are handled rightly. What were the Judaizers doing that Paul could not accept? You know, this, Paul comes down and he says, It's so bad, Paul says in Galatians, that if anybody preaches this, this other gospel then let him be accursed. And I'm using very delicate language here. Paul was much more uh, upfront about it. That's how important this gospel is. That we get it right and we don't monkey with it. And that you don't do these things uh, that, that the Judaizers were doing. Um, and so that they, uh, uh, they, were, they, were just, they were adding to the work of Christ. And they taught that the work of Jesus wasn't enough. Jesus had done his part, but you know, you've got to be circumcised and follow these laws, work for, Christ, and, and the work of Christ, or the work of Christ is no effect of you. But they still preach Jesus. And if I were a betting man, which I'm not, right? I just want to make that clear here in the pulpit. I'm not a betting man. If I were, were a betting man, I'd bet you that there were people telling Paul, you know, won't you let up on him? I mean, they are talking about Jesus. Can't we just let it go? What's the big deal? So should we judge the teaching of others concerning the gospel? It's absolutely clear that Paul did. And if we care about the transmission of the true gospel to the next generation, you know that's what we're charged with, isn't it? Is getting the true gospel to the next generation. You guys got kids that are almost raised. I've got little kids. We have to give it to them, don't we? And and trust that they will give it to the next generation. But if we don't give it to them, they don't get it, do they? They get Christ plus a bunch of other stuff. Or they get a false Jesus. You know, his name's Jesus, but he's the Jesus that comes to give you everything you want. We can't let that happen, can we? We have to give them the true Jesus and the true gospel. Paul preached the gospel of total reliance upon the work of Jesus Christ. It was a stark contrast to that ministry of the Judaizers. And you know, they, neither one got along. They didn't. Because both knew that the other's teachings were a contradiction that couldn't be tolerated. They didn't like Paul. Yet we're told nowadays to get along with every church that calls themselves Christian. And if you see a staggering contradiction, ignore it. Because we just all need to get along. That wasn't the position of Paul. And it shouldn't be our position. We're not looking for fights or anything like that. But if we're convinced it's Christ alone, then we can't be seen approving of a teaching that is Christ plus some works. And so here's what we do. And here's how I'll say it. I've said all that and there's the warning. But here's what we labor here to preach. Listen to me. This is what we preach. This is what we labor here. A gospel that magnifies Christ in the greatest possible light. We're going to talk about Jesus. He's our great king. He's died for our sins. He's risen. He's coming again. And He's great. And He's awesome. And we're going to say His name. If we we don't say it a hundred times in our service, we probably haven't said it once. Jesus Christ, right? Our great Savior. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And we will say His name. Um, We will uh, preach a, a, a gospel that denies the work of the hands of men in contribution to their salvation. And this is a gospel that we'll preach that offends the ears of people who've been relying on getting into heaven and hoping to hear God, hear God say to them, you know, you're such a great person. It's a pleasure for me to let you into heaven. <laughs> no, we preach in such a way that it annoys the heck out of people like that. Because it's all about you are you're a sinner a great sinner and you need Jesus Christ. Um, it, it, it's, we preach that gospel in such a way that it in such a vocal way that it annoys self righteous people and people relying on external visibilities to enter into the kingdom of God. We say those things are of no value. Only Jesus Christ matters. Our gospel is that everything is from God and through Christ. Your character and your good works are negative to God when when it comes to a contribution for salvation. So we preach a gospel that is offensive to people because it says you're not good, good enough, you need Christ. We preach a gospel that is exclusive. We say Christ is the only way and there is no other way. But it's the teaching of Paul. Therefore, it's our teaching as well. We want to be on the side of Paul's gospel because that's the right side, isn't it? Verse 6, and we'll finish up here. As you can see why I didn't get down to verse 11 today. Who has made us sufficient? Who has made us sufficient? Made us sufficient. Who has made us? See why we have no boast? I'm sitting here talking about confidence. But then there's no boast, is there? You can't boast. Because God makes us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills But the Spirit gives life. Paul comes right out and he says it. All along he's been comparing the ministry of his opponents who he calls peddlers of the Word of God. And here Paul says, God has made us sufficient. And so for our final point, the sufficient minister is made sufficient by God for New Testament ministry. The sufficient minister is made sufficient by God for New Testament ministry. For New Testament ministry. Their message... Is the message of the Spirit. That's what the message of the competent, authentic ministry is. And it's the message found in the new covenant. Paul alludes in the verse here, his allusion here is to Jeremiah 31, 31. And you guys probably remember that. Many of you do anyway. Where it says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And as he goes down, down in the passage there, uh, that he says that he'll write his law upon their hearts and they will know the Lord. That's the prophecy in Jeremiah given 600 years before Christ. And that day was ushered in with Jesus. Jeremiah was saying that one day the shortcomings of the law is no longer going to plague God's people. The law says, listen to me here, the law says you do it. Which history has taught us. That it cannot be done because no one ever has. Right? It's like uh, in the Princess Bride when... uh, uh, Wesley get, wins the girl and, and they're running from the, the prince and they go into the fire swamp to escape. And I'm sitting here talking to people that may not have ever watched The Princess Bride. But he goes in and, the, he goes in and, and, and she says, we can never make it through the fire swamp. He says, you can, you're only saying that because no one ever has. <laughs> and, and so some people will say, oh, I can keep the law. You're only saying that. You're, 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 no one has ever done it. No one has ever done it except Jesus Christ. Has kept, he's the only one that has kept the law. So, uh, the law says you do it. But the New Testament ministry says Christ has done it, doesn't it? The Judaizers were chained to the old covenant. And they, they tried to chain their hearers. They kept going back to circumcision, dietary laws. They kept getting a, putting a yoke upon on the converts of Christ instead of teaching them that to rest in the sufficient work of Christ. That's a ministry of death. Do you know why? Because it's the law. That's why. The law stands before me. And if I'm honest... All I ever see is how I've broken it over and over again and, and how I'm not fit for life and for the judgment of, and that the judgment of God is upon me. So the law is not good news. And if all there is is law, I have despair. But the law should drive me to despair so that I might hear the gospel, the good news that I might know how to be saved. So the sufficient minister, one made sufficient by God himself, he points people to the New Testament truth that Christ has done what men cannot do. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus has kept the law and he invites everyone to come and receive this good news. That's the message of the sufficient minister. Here's what he says. He says, today's the day of salvation. Jesus Christ is the son of God who laid down his life for your sins. And you are imprisoned by your sins. And you try to do better. You try to make resolutions and promises. But you know it never works out you still fall into sin. And you wonder, what's wrong with me? But the gospel given to you in the Bible and heralded to you by a faithful preacher says this, Come and rest in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. He comes offering you not a better morality so that you can feel good about yourself. Oh, I'm doing A, B, and C, and I quit doing X, Y, Z. He comes offering you His mercy and His grace and His righteousness. He comes offering you His blood for your sins. And where you fail time and again, Jesus has succeeded. And He offers you. Victory where all you've had is failure. And we don't tie the law to the promise of Christ. We tell you to come to Jesus and to Him alone. Not some combination of moralism and Jesus. It's Jesus and nothing else. You know this, let me give you a math equation, Doug. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's a pretty good math equation there, isn't it? Jesus plus something else puts you in a negative. That's exactly what it does. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And folks, that's a pretty deep look that I've given you at the sufficient minister over the past two weeks. Paul asked in chapter 2, verse 17, who is sufficient for these things? I'll tell you, I want to be able to say that this is the kind of ministry, I want to say that this is the kind of ministry you want in this church. This authentic ministry given to us here by the Apostle Paul. I would hope that some of this, that, that, that all of this, that I resemble all of this in some way. I know I, I fall short and all that stuff. Uh, but this is what I want to be. So you help me be that minister. You help your leaders provide that kind of church, authentic church leadership. And you know how you everyone can do this, whether you're a leader or you're not, is to pray for your church. God, give us a church that is what you've called it to be, that pleases you, that isn't on the... We don't, we don't care if we're on the cutting edge. You know, we just don't. Uh, I mean, we're doing some cool things, you know, social media-wise and all that stuff. But that's to help people, right? That's to help people... Hear the good news. Because we believe in what we're preaching here, don't we? So you, you pray for your church. God, help us to be this kind of church. Help us to be, have this kind of leadership. Authentic church leadership. Well, we're going to pray. And if God's calling you this morning uh, to become a Christian, and you've never been one before, um, because if you haven't been, then you need to be. And if you have been a Christian and you've fallen away for a while, either you need to return is what you need to do. So let me pray and we'll sing and offer you an opportunity to respond uh, to God's message to you this morning through His Word. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the good news of the gospel. We're so thankful for the blueprint given to us Of how a church ought to look. What authentic ministry looks like. And I, I pray, Father, that you'll bless our church to be this church. Give us desires for this. Give us a hope for this. Stir up our leadership. Stir up the people who are future leaders in the pews today. Stir up those who may never be in leadership... they do behind the scenes the biggest things. They pray for their church. They love their pastor and pray for him. They love their leaders and pray for them instead of grumbling and complaining. They hope the best. They want the best. And then they participate in all those things. I pray for them as well, Lord. Build them up and bless them. And now if there's anyone who needs to receive Jesus as Savior. I pray, Lord, you'll make it happen. Convince them of the truth and bring them to the penitent faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And amen. We have a final hymn of invitation. It's hymn number 450, I Need Thee Every Hour. No truer words ever been spoken. We need Christ all the time. Please stand and sing with me.